Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Episode 8, Ducks, Newburyport, by Lucy Elman. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm J.J. Abrams, author of the Superman flyby script. Gotcha. <laughs> Bob, you had won. <laughs> we just... I, I, I started recording the podcast, and then it became three minutes of me reading a Wikipedia article aloud about the movie Superman Flyby, because Bob mentioned it. So we're like, oh, who was going to be in that? I'm like, just don't mention Superman Flyby. I'm sorry, not Bob. J.J. Abrams, my co-host on the podcast, <laughs> was just like, let's talk about my film Superman Flyby that was never made. It's really just because I want to talk about the OC all the time. <laughs> Do you want to tell your favorite OC joke, or is that not... Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the best joke in, in the entirety of the OC is in season three, there's a, a stripper, a, a female stripper, and she's dressed up like a cop. And uh, someone asks her her name, and she says her name is Sipowitz, which is the name of Dennis Franz's character from NYPD Blue. Which is very, very good. Well, JJ, what is Duck's Newberry Report about? It's about 1,100 pages. I was I was occupying the, the 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 ghost of my father entered my body to tell that joke. I'm re- I'm watching the Friday the Thirteenth movies now, and they're doing jokes in that part two, and they're like, "What's brown and sits on the piano?" What? Mozart's final movement. Oh, that's a good joke. That's a good joke. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, on par with your 1,100 pages joke. I you know that's a little better than my 1100 pages joke. The 1100 pages joke is just like every time you ask an old man what something is about, they tell you the the length for some reason. You know this that's a podcast joke, and then I told the movie joke, different medium. Okay, but what is the content therein describes um, what? It is a book, uh, in, in which I think. Form is its own content, which is to say that the book has a lot of stuff happen in it. It's it's a uh, it's a book that traces the stream of a single woman's consciousness through very very many things uh, that all like sort of define modern day uh, America for someone who might be a housewife in Ohio. But really, what the book is about is about how you can capture the way someone thinks and and put it on the page. Yeah. Does that sound accurate to you? I mean, I, I, I don't like that's my take on it, but I don't know if that's, you know. Well, I think what we talked about with Owen Meany when we're like, what's that about? Like, it's either about faith or it's about a whole bunch of things or it's about everything. Right. Like, it depends on how you want to break it down. And this is at its core, if, you want to, if it's about one thing, it's about motherhood. Right. Or maybe humanity. There's that book, The Medium is the Message, right? Like, the, the, this is written difficultly and difficult to parse and difficult to get through by design. And I yeah. think... It's very dense. Yes. Because the structure of this, it is about 1,100 pages. I think that there is a glossary because there's a lot of abbreviations in here that they detail at the end. So it's more like 1,000 pages, I think. But aside from probably about 50 pages, maybe, of, like, very concise, succinct prose describing a cougar and her two cubs it's like 950 pages single sentence no line breaks with some some you know exceptions no paragraph breaks one sentence just stream of consciousness in her brain what is it like to be inside someone else's mind basically yeah and it uh is incredibly repetitive yeah which is to say probably a quarter to a fifth of of uh, all of the words in this book are the fact that, yep. 
which begins almost every uh not sentence but um clause yeah in, in like incomplete clause from like for the for the purposes of what we're doing they're basically sentences yeah but yeah it's the fact that this the fact that that and then whatever whatever and then there's other repetition i don't remember why but i googled i think maybe I just googled this and there's a thing on the new yorker called it's called can one sentence capture all of life yeah because this is you know it's about everything and whatever and there's also another thing on the new yorker that i read about our our is literature now currently i guess probably a couple of years ago whatever too tied to the present because this is and there's another theme that we've kind of talked about this season especially as we have had newer books but this feels by design the most modern book that we've done right like death in her hands is newer than this but it's it's kind of taken out of time and pizza girl is newer than this but it's set in the early 90s or whatever right like this is the one that feels like oh we're dealing with like the trump of it all i think pizza girl is set in like 2016 Oh, right. 2012 or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Not the 90s. The early 90s. I'm watching brand new Cherry Flavor, and like the setting is just early 90s. Like there's like yeah. a Chiron at the top. She's like, early 90s. So I just have early 90s in my brain. Did I mention that I'm watching the OC? And you have. And that's the early 2000s. So. But this is set in 2017. So it's like probably when she maybe started writing the book. Possibly. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, what's important, 27. What's important about it being set in 2017 is that it's uh, after the election of Donald Trump. Yes. And after he's in office and, like, actively doing things as president. Yeah. So a lot of this is a reaction to that stuff. The the, the way that a uh, suburban suburban white lady would react to. And when he was elected, it felt for a while like the world fell apart. Nobody made no, – nothing made sense anymore mm, for a second, yeah. right? And I regretted my vote for him immediately. You, you voted for the, the candidate of your choice. There was – I had a moment of, like – I don't want to call it clarity, but I'm like – Look, this is going to inspire four years of amazing art that people are so angry and they're so just confused and they're going to express this. And then not only did that not happen, but like art got worse and people were just like overtly angry and like, but I had a moment I was just like, this is going to inspire such great things. And it didn't. It inspires like something like this, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'd rather that didn't have happened and we just didn't have this book or whatever. But I think what this book serves as, in a very specific way, is a great representation of what it's like to be a woman in 2017, Mm -hmm. to be an American in 2017, to be a Midwesterner in 2017, and to be like a chicken farmer. Because it's like, (laughs) she's at the, she's just, you know, I don't want to say like, there's no, but she's like a normal mother, normal woman, whatever. Yeah. But she's at the cross section of like every major many major societal things that are going on in a way that feels natural and organic yeah i think a lot of that is due to the the like scaffolding and the work that she takes to pad out what are extraordinary events within the text with just like banalities yeah right which is uh i think it probably is is a difficult entry point for for people so i think a lot of people when they pick this up they see the format and they see the um the density like the huge dense blocks of texts and i think when reading it they probably around page 200 if not page 50 you think what 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 the fuck is she get what is she getting at right what like what is this why why is she doing this what's the point of any of this 
And I think the point is to meticulously list the banalities of of everyday life and juxtapose them with the, the more traumatic things of, of of everyday life because everyday life is in its own way kind of traumatic right yeah. and and we have to find that there has to be a balance between the two things the the banal the mundane and and these these things that um you know as she says over and over in the text uh uh i'm broken we we have to find a balance between shit that really bores us and shit that would like destroy us if we let it. Yeah. And what this book also does without the metaphor that we both loved, but in you shall know our velocity or sacrament or whatever we want to call that book. One of the things that we both really liked about that was the librarians, right? Like remembering traumatic events and like thinking about other things like the librarians, like knock, knock, knock. Here's an idea for you to think about, like, remember this horrific shit. This is again, you know, she's a, she's a, her husband is a professor, so he makes a good living or whatever. Um, as you know, as a professor yourself, you're the rock stars of the industry. You're yeah, we're we're all millionaires. <laughs> we 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 make more than twenty three thousand dollars a year, almost definitely. It's why they're like, yeah, you can buy your own school supplies because we pay you so well. Yeah, well, he's a full time professor, so right. at least he's getting you know. She seems to have like a fairly successful bakery business, right? Yeah, that she left her own teaching job to do because yes. she didn't, she couldn't handle teaching anymore. So much of this is just her like recipes, like thinking of recipes and baking things and watching movies while she bakes and thinking and worrying about her kids and whatever. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, oh, that time that I was sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. or that time that my mom like fell into like a pile, like just like just you know the the illness that her mother had, or like the anal cancer that our narrator had. Yeah. Or on her sit me down upon. Uh-huh. It does what Sacrament did in a very, again, natural, organic way where it's not librarians bringing it up, but she's just like thinking about things or like looking on a computer at like headlines or whatever, thinking about Trump. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, my mommy died. I, I, I think like possibly whatever like repetition and and, and franticness of, of I don't know if it's necessarily the the character the frantic whatever of her brain because i think like all brains function frantically if you if you were like to do a transcript of of someone's brain it would be like yeah it would be a nightmare but the way but the way that this book presents it like she does seem frantic she seems like uh, a scatterbrained she does seem like all of these things because that's like the aesthetic way to that that lucy elman is deciding to put this stuff down which is meant to maybe bury the trauma from us so that we don't always see it so it's not always there that she is like thinking all of these things as a way to run away from the trauma that that she feels and it just comes out and she's like her saying mommy all the time like is weird it bothers me and yeah weird mommy way. and daddy something that i did think of a lot when i was when i was reading this was i this is going to make me f- uh feel uh like a jerk kind of you're 30s lady like you have a kid yeah four kids parents die yeah you have to like you have to be able to keep going and not be quote-unquote broken because like that happens to everybody not necessarily when you're in your 30s but like ever like everyone's parents die and he can't break you if it, you know, but like, again, it's not my, it's not like my position to necessarily judge. Well, that, that's a theme that we've talked about a couple times already, mm-hmm. like in Sacrament and a couple other things about just the arrested development of it all. But I think 
What's interesting about this, and then I want to go back to another point you were saying earlier that reminded me of something, but I think she's presenting to the world as a normal, successful woman. And because we're in her head, it's like, oh, right, no, we're all broken by everything that ever happened to us. Okay, so do you think the point is that everyone is like that? Or or do you think that it's just like she has a specific amount of trauma that is... I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I did think it was weird. I made a note of it that calling them mommy and daddy. And she says, like, especially mommy in particular, yeah. like a lot. Like her mother's death really seemed to have fucked her up. Yeah. And it seems strange to have a grown ass woman with like real stuff happening to her and four kids of her own to be like, oh, yeah. And then my mommy died. Yeah. And and she just there are single like uh, clauses where it's just her saying mommy. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, it's the, I, I don't, it, I, I thought it was annoying. I, don't, I think that was the one part, I mean, there's a couple, I, I think this is a remarkable book. I think that this is, I don't, so you, you've read this book twice this year now. Twice this year, yeah. Which is insane. And I do want to talk about later, because you said you you were glad that you did to a certain extent, because you were picking up on things, and I'm sure I can kind of guess I think those it's, things. It's, it's, it's a book that rewards rereading. I'm sure, I'm, I would guess most books probably reward. Well, I think good books do. Yeah. But I, I want to go back to what you were saying about the you know, tamping down the trauma mm-hmm. of it all by just the banality of everything. At a certain point, I'm like, stop telling me about school shootings and whatever. <laughs> and like, I know that's the point of it. Yeah. Because, but it's the opposite of what she's doing with her own trauma. It's like, and then this boy shot his sister in the head because she wouldn't give him the TV remote. And then this boy went to school and whatever. And like, it's really like, I don't know how you read a thing like, like, because I think, to a certain extent, I think we have to, because if we didn't, we would all not be able to move. But like you desensitize to all the shootings because there are so goddamn many of them. Yeah, it's. I, I think I think what you're talking about is functioning twofold. Number one, it's a commentary on the way that we live in the world where every day there's a new tragedy and we think about it, right? Yep. We, 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 ha- we think about it, we think about it analytically, we think about it in a way that uh, where we get used to it. Mm-hmm. And, and because if, if we didn't, like if we if we spent every... Like when Newtown happened, right? That was like a, a gutting moment, and it was like the it was it was awful. And you feel like I remember driving home. I was driving home from North Jersey and listening to it like that on the radio when it was happening. And I remember just like feeling like terrible. Yeah. And I like personally don't have the endurance to feel that way every time right. that one of these things happens because right. they ha- and they happen once a week now it feels like and it's not only that like it's not only the school shootings or a guy at the mall but she's also bringing up all these instances of like a guy murdered his wife mm-hmm. or a guy murdered his wife and their kids or yeah. whatever and it's like things that don't make the headlines because there's so much other horrific shit happening but there's so much of that and i don't know how again coming from our liberal elite coastal towers or whatever i don't know how you you read a book like this and not be like where are the gun control laws because like it's just like i know that's the point of it like to just like we need to do something about this but it's like it's so overwhelming and i know that's the point but it's just like at a certain point i'm like i don't want to read this anymore because like this is not a fun book to read no by any stretch of the imagination Mm -mm. i think it's really well written i think what you said to me weeks ago or whatever like once you like there's certain times where you, you get into a rhythm yeah, how yeah, she's writing. yeah, you can disappear into it. And there's certain points where I'm just like, oh, like everything, this is like, I don't know if it was the way I was feeling, the way she was feeling when she wrote it or whatever, but like there's there's chunks of this, like five or ten page chunks where I'm just like, I'm highlighting everything on the Kindle. I'm just like, yeah. this is amazing. 
at a certain point, like not only is it exa- like it's physically draining to just read something this dense or have the audio like a forty five hour audiobook, mm-hmm. right, read to you, but then it's like depressing on top of that. Like it's overtly like exhausting and depressing. And it does feel like a triumph to finish this, not only because of the length, but because of the density and the subject matter. Even though, like, in terms of the actual events that happen in the book, there's maybe, like, four things? Yeah, let's count them. At the very end, there's the intruder, which we'll talk to, with, with the gun. Yeah. Stacy runs away. Yeah. They're at the mall when the parking deck collapses. And the house on fire drifts down the street. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's one more, maybe, and, like, there's the cougar stuff, but, like, so much of it is just, like, memory or, like, oh, they have to do this, like, kind of prepping or whatever. But, you know, a thousand pages, like, four things happen, right? Yeah. And so, I don't know if it's four, but it's, like, it's, it's a very, sure. it's well, a very well, few. Let, well, let's, let's go through those things one one at a time. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the, the mall? I think that's the first thing that actually really happens. Okay, so what happens? What happens at the mall? So she, they stop at the mall, like, while they're delivering pies, and there's, like, a flash flood, mm-hmm. and there's a crummy parking deck that collapses, and they all get trapped there. And they watch a cat jump in the water and maybe die, because the cat is trying to escape from a house. Um, and they watch a house uh, catch fire and, I guess, become unmoored from its foundation mm-hmm. and flow down the river. They're, so they're watching. In, like, a book that is very realistic. There was like this surreal, like almost painterly moment of a house with you imagine fire billowing out the windows, drifting down a river. Right. What's that about? What is like, what is it? Well, I think what was interesting, like I, I wrote down about halfway through my notes, I just wrote down action, a, yeah, ra- a ramp collapse sure. at the parking deck in the mall. Because like this is probably 400 or 500 pages into the book uh-huh. until like something actually physically happens seemingly in real time. And what was interesting to me is that it immediately then kicks off a whole like 10 or 20 page thing about like doomsday prepping and the apocalypse. I think what we were talking about, like with you driving, listening about Newtown, like it just like the one thing happens, which is horrific. And it doesn't, I mean, it happens to them, but not really like they're going to be fine. Yeah. But it then is the only thing you can think about for a while. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, climate shit, right? It's like her becoming occupied with like one of the other major things that we need yep. to really like think about now. We have these shootings and stuff, and we have like uh, uh, author- authoritarian governments, and then mm-hmm. we have this other thing that is like not not necessarily a function of politics, although I guess it kind of is. But like climate change, which is like the the indifference of nature toward the natural world, where it can just like it will murder you. Well, there's like, and there's other things that are tied to that, like. All like I think that's why setting it in Ohio, like with all the rivers and all the big companies polluting and mm-hmm. getting away with it. Sure. And then there's the big agriculture and big industry of like big chicken, basically, and like her ever increasing number of hundreds of billions of chickens eaten per year and the sexual assault that she deals with. Like basically all of the plagues and the traumas and the horrific stuff of our time yeah. is happening to her or has happened to her. Or she's in a position to be able, be able to comment on it. I think I may have clo- – when you talk about the sexual assault thing, like what specifically are you, are you talking about? There were two things. Because I, I know she had her friend Kathy that she dealt with. Uh, her friend Kathy dealt with sexual assault. But like what – did she deal with an assault? So at one point, again, they were very minor. But they happened like close enough together that I was like, oh, maybe this is going to become a thing. And like, it kind of got dropped. But she remembers going out on a date mm-hmm. and the guy basically – 
trying to rape her and doesn't. And then it's just like, so how about a second date? Is this like he's like an Italian guy, maybe? I don't remember. Yeah. But there's that. And then she remembers back when she was 10 at a museum and like a grown man had an erect penis like pressed into her back. And it's just like those like little things, like we just did any man, right? Which Mm -hmm. is like much more overt about that one thing because that's what that book's about. Yeah, for sure. But this is just like as though being a mother of four and running your own business and dealing with Trump and this and that is not enough, you're also repressing or remembering or whatever just the casual sexual assault that, like, every woman has to deal with. Well, yeah, because this stuff is all, uh, like, I think we have to view all of this stuff and her focus on all of this and her memories on all of this through the filter of her, like, also functioning as a mother, right? So so now that she is, like, thinking back to these things and she's thinking of her dad chasing that guy or looking for that guy that pressed his, his boner into her back at the museum she's now thinking of like stacy and and her uh her other kids yeah in the context of like throughout her all of her experiences which is why she's so like gung-ho about you know the the self-defense books and things like that which again in an owen meanie-esque thing comes back in a big way Uh uh-huh which we'll talk about at the end. I, I think the one thing this book i think try that lucy elman tries to touch on that she i don't want to say fails because mm-hmm. in like a thousand pages, like you have enough time to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Because it's just like, oh, there's a lot of words here. But I, I mentioned this to you, and we don't really talk about it. But her first husband was a Native American, is an indigenous person. Yeah. What's the correct term? I believe the the preferred nomenclature is American Indian. Actually, American Indian. So her eldest daughter Stacy is like half American Indian. Mm-hmm. They kind of hint at that sort of stuff, and they talk about like a genocide at one point. But I feel like. It's a thing that seems to be in there for a reason that they don't ex- that she doesn't explore enough. Well, yeah, I, I think I think it it is just like a like look. This is the history. Like America yeah. has this violent history. Yeah. It's like the Nagahonset massacre, right, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, or I may be pronouncing that incorrectly because I don't have it in front of me. Where they have a number of a number of soldiers or like vote on whether or not they should kill all the people there, and almost all the soldiers vote to kill the natives um and they do and she like talks about bringing her classes to to uh a museum so that they can talk about that and then bring the kids there so they can talk about that um so i think it's just like a way to like look at america's violent past and then again juxtapose it with the violent present because the way that i was able to i like that and i think that is another way to look at it. i think a good way to look at it maybe probably better than the way that i looked at it but i was also thinking about it just like it's not her story to tell mm-hmm. in a way because she's not an american indian yeah she married a man and had a daughter who identifies or like that's part of who they are and stacy brings it up a couple times and like even when she runs away i think she like wants to maybe like live with her people or whatever or like just not be in ohio at least anymore right like feel connected to something else other than ohio and so i'm thinking like it feels like a theme that could be explored but this is just like a suburban white lady and so it makes sense that she's not thinking about being like that kind of person because she doesn't have to deal with it. Well, she's also viewing it through the prism of whiteness, right? She's viewing it through the, through the prism of, of like guilt and why don't we talk about this more? And is it my place to talk about this? And, you know, the thing, the sort of things that cause her to spiral out yeah, and, and like touch on a million different things before getting back to whatever her original point was. Right. Also at the, when the bridge, when the ramp collapses, going back to that for a second, they call Ronnie, who is their yeah. chicken feed delivery man, who comes and rescues them. Because basically everybody in the mall has the same idea. Town's that way, pretty goddamn far, but like, what else are we going to do? There's no cars can get out here. 
we're going to walk. So this seems like to be this like mass exodus from the mall down the highway. Mm-hmm. Ronnie comes and gets them. And Ronnie is a is a uh, gun enthusiast. He is, he's seems she paints him as being fairly dumb, right? He doesn't know that Paris and London are two different places, and he thinks that you can drive there. And he is obsessed with other people being dumb. He's obsessed with the how the police are dumb, how nobody knows how to drive. Um, and he also loves Trump. Of course he does. Um, and he's upset with, uh, or he would be upset that Stacy is wearing a shirt that says, super callous, fragile, sexist, racist, Nazi POTUS. Which is amazing. Yeah, that she made herself. They they blacked it out in the school yearbook picture. Which is ironic a little bit because my own personal high school blacked out a kid wearing a Trump t-shirt. Really? In, in his in his graduation photos, yep. But yeah, Ronnie will come back. We'll talk about Ronnie more later. Um, there's also, it's not a thing that happens in real time, but another thing that like she, I think, goes into more detail about the actual ins and outs of is getting stuck in the snow in her car. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. almost being, but that's years ago. Mm-hmm. And like, there's the joke that she makes that you don't know why it's a joke, but she's like, yeah, there's a funny joke that I was saved by Jesus. And it's just like, what are you, lady, what are you, what are you talking about, lady? But it's just because the guy named Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Lopez Perez of New Philadelphia saved her. Yeah. But like, that's the kind of thing where, again, it's just like, like what could have been an absolutely traumatic, horrific, could have died moment became a just a funny story or whatever, right? Is the next thing that really happens, I guess the cougar kind of or stacy because the cougars in well let's out. talk about the cougar as a separate thing let's, so stacy stacy runs away stacy runs away and it had been sort of previewed for like a couple hundred pages that like she wanted to go to arizona for college or something and one of the one of the major themes is the of, of the book is the tension between stacy and and the narrator right? right um as teenagers uh do she has a lot of um i don't know if it's resentment but she's she's sort of um judgmental of her parents and her mom is trying her best but she can't seem to get through to her daughter who um wants to confront her about everything from her carbon footprint to her white privilege to all sorts of things of this nature and it's a it's a huge source of tension between them so much that they go to family therapy in the book yeah which seems like the uh stacy seems to to um be a good kid honestly she's she's also she doesn't seem to want to embarrass her mom she stands up for her mom or she she like when the mom is in family therapy and is embarrassed uh and has nothing to say stacy fills the space with talking because she doesn't want her mom to feel like she's an idiot or or something um so she's a a a kind kid um and and she just wants to get out like a lot of great kids do they just want to leave home they, they it's not for them ohio is not for her the same way that i'm sure like new jersey wasn't for me until it became again the same way that california is not for seth cohen in the oc but it almost it, like it sneak up it, her running away sneaks up on you because it sneaks up on the mom and because we're still in the mom's head yeah. that like just like Stacy's not like around and then she goes up to the room and like finds a note or whatever and she's like oh my god like right. how long has this happened and right. like the husband like is not around. like he's off on a trip 
and just like panicking or whatever. He's not there or whatever. And eventually, you know, like the next morning or no, maybe no, he's not at, for the end. He's just at work or whatever. And the next morning, just Stacy comes home with her sleeping bag. It's just like, oh yeah, like here's what happened. Like I tried to go, didn't really have a plan. Got picked up by hitchhike. I was hitchhiking. You know, I got picked up. I slept in a car or whatever. And you know, everything's fine. Yeah. I mean, like most kids who try to run away, they realize that it's like, that shit is really hard. I remember <laughs> it's hard when, to be someplace. When I was in Little League, uh, a kid on my team ran away from home and I was like, oh my God. And like somebody's just like, oh no, he runs away from home all the time. I'm like, oh, so it doesn't work. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't really run. It's very difficult to actually run away from home. Like, I think he just like, he like lived near the baseball field. He's just like, uh, and just like ran the other way. Yeah. And it's just like, he's just being moody or whatever. Right. So, you know, I guess she was more successful than the kid on my baseball team. But like, again, she could have died. Like th- th- things, things were fine. Hitchhiking when you're a teenager, you can yeah. die pretty easily. Even though we find out that she is more than capable in defending herself. Yeah. There's some I'm trying to think if there was something else that I wanted to say about that relationship between Stacy and her mom and the and the tensions that exist. Well, I think there's more of a relationship described between them than any of the other three kids and the mom, right? For sure. Because of the fact that she's the oldest mm-hmm. and probably the most contentious. And she's not Leo's kid. So so there's that. She has the attention of like you know, she doesn't see her dad. Right. Uh, she is resentful of her mom for, you know, for, among other things, not asking for her permission to marry Leo. The mother-daughter tension that exists there is is something that you see. Like, her running away is, the scaffolding is there. You see it coming because it's one of the major themes of the book, and she goes through it over and over again. So once it comes, it's not a surprise, but it's also because of the way that the book is shaped it's not something that you necessarily see coming. Well, it, I think it's because anything that actually happens is a surprise. The fact that something happens right. yeah, yeah. is a surprise. Yeah. Because there are, you know, we, we've mentioned it, but there are like ex, like repeated references to just like her thing about Harrison Ford movies because she's watching them or thinking about them or yeah. whatever. And just her like, oh, I really like that actress or is that the other actress or like whatever. And it just... Just in her brain thinking about whatever or just recipes or things she has to buy or things she has to do or whatever or just like worries about this guy. And then, oh, my God, Stacy's not here. Which is interesting, too, because it doesn't when Stacy's not there, it doesn't necessarily happen. She doesn't narrate that stuff. You have to piece together what's happening by her reactions, which still include digressions within them. So, like, she's not it's not like it happens. She's like, I found a note and here's everything that's happening like she she like finds a note she steps on a toy truck Shibuti, Shibuti. yeah you have to deal with her like uh reacting to that and then her just being like oh my god what's happening what's happening so you don't really know what's happening right. you're you're learning it as she like is reacting to it while she never straight up tells you exactly what's happening you have to kind of like figure it out it was funny and funny is the wrong word but at the end when there is the shooter in their house and she's still, like, thinking about movies. I'm like, lady, focus, <laughs> fucking focus. Focus. Well, that's a reflection because it, it, it's, it's a reflection because we get this stuff up until Ronnie comes back in the house with the gun. And then there's a departure. We, we go, Then we go to the Cougar. And then when we come back, we're, we're a week or two in the future. Are we? And, and yeah. And she's, okay. and she's remembering the shooting. So that doesn't even happen in real time. No. No, I mean it does up until up until Ronnie comes in the house with the gun, and then she and then she we should jump okay. forward and then she remembers back. So when she's remembering it, that's when she's putting all this movie stuff in between because it's like just a part of her natural thought right. process is right. recalling the events of this day, right? Reliving trauma over and over again. So yes, you spoiled it. Ronnie is the shooter. Ronnie is the shooter uh, because Ronnie 
Ronnie is he he delivers their he's their guy that delivers their chicken feed, and every time he delivers their chicken feed, he kind of hangs out of the door and talks and talks and talks, and the narrator wants to get away from him, but it's too nice. It's too nice, and it's too societally like she like as a woman you can't like be mean or whatever. But right? she also doesn't invite him in. She doesn't offer him coffee. She doesn't offer him a pie, and when he comes into the house with the gun, he feels as though she's been dismissive of him but he also feels as though she's a prick tease yes he thinks that she has been flirting with him when really she's just being the bare minimum of polite right um but ronnie is uh you know a maladjusted guy so he sees her being polite to him as both flirtation and as a brush off Mm mm-hmm which like gives you an insight into Ronnie's head. Like you can't, it can't really be both of those things, mm-hmm. right? But he sees them as those things because those are the two things that motivate his actions. Both of those things at the same time create a uh, you know a dialectic that allows him to become the person that he can act in the way that he wants to act because like he has these aggressive impulses that he's not denying of himself, which have to do with guns, which are obvious. Like guns exist as phallic symbols which like represent sexuality or failed sexuality, virility or impotence, um, depending on how they're used in this, in this case, probably representative of impotence because Ronnie feels like he has no power in the world. Right. Which is the bill that we've being sold, been sold for uh, uh, Trump's success for a long time. Right. It's about economic anxiety and the increase and the decreasing power of the white working class, which is what Ronnie is. So when Ronnie like has this opportunity to showcase power and showcase power to a liberal woman who is like the source of many of his like grievances um, and fantasies probably. and fantasies. Yeah. But both of those things at the same time, it's like the people on the internet who are like, are incredibly pissed off about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because she makes them horny. Yeah. Right? Like these guys who are just like, I'm extra mad at her because she's pretty, uh, but also like has the opposite opinion of me. So I'm going to tweet at her instead of one of the many other people that they could tweet at who who, uh, don't create that dichotomy within themselves. I mean, he's emblematic of like, incel culture right yeah which like honestly like that has become a theme this season in in the like we've been talking about that a lot in the books and i don't know if that's because it's something that i think about all the time because it's the world that we live in now so like i'm seeing that in things or if it's just always been a theme and and now we can put a name to it i think there's always been fragile male egos at the center of stories but i think for a while it was just like isn't that guy quirky and neurotic? Like he's like right. a, like a Jesse Eisenberg type or whatever. And then now you see it. Now you're like, oh no, that's actually real toxic. I think it's probably yeah. just it's. Are it's you a, are you saying Jesse Eisenberg is an incel that's going to kill people? Hey man, he he made Facebook. What can I say? All right, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg does play those characters, and he was so mean to that one girl that was interviewing him during the Now You See Me thing. Google it. True, I saw both those in theaters. Yeah, the second one, which is uh, bizarrely not titled Now You Don't. Right dumb um not you the title yeah i got that i didn't think you were calling me dumb but if i if i did i would shoot you (laughs) but i I think those types of characters those types of roles those types of stories have always been here it's just that we're looking at them differently now because like 
instead of just giving them a pass or being like, oh yeah, like this is like I can, I can relate or whatever. Like I really wish that girl liked me. I'm gonna get mad at her or whatever. It's just like, oh no, like that's that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we're mostly reading more modern, like not all like brand new stuff, but like mostly modern literature where like or progressive authors and whatever. But I think what works well about this final act reflection, whatever, is again in the Owen Meany sense, but like less less magical, right? More practical, which maybe fits the sort of Midwest, like the type of story it is, or whatever. As opposed to about faith and miracles, it's yeah. just about like the practicality of everyday life. But Stacy reading the self defense book comes into play. Uh, the ugly floor lamp that she's thought about that she's mentioned that she hates this lamp having apples and flower bags of flour and these like really fancy pots and pans around all come into play all in a way that like the the pieces are all there for this resolution to this like crazy event and you don't see because there's there again there's just so much that's said and so much that's thought and so much that's just there that like any number of things could have wound up in the in the finale but like it all sets up in a, in a way and i was wondering if that's like the kind are, are those the things that you picked up on that rewarded more the second time? Yes. Or is, yeah. So, so the for, it's the foreshadowing. Yeah. So the, the, the repetition of themes um, becomes more rewarding when you can, from the beginning, immediately recognize them as themes. So when you have 1100 pages of this looping, repetitive thought process, it takes like 500 pages or so before you're like, okay, like these things are things that keep coming up and I right. have them. So, so like then you have to go back and rethink the first like 500 sure. pages. So like when you when you start from the beginning already knowing what those themes are, then it's like you can pay closer attention to those themes from the beginning, I think. You might not be able to hone in on the specifics of it, but I think it's – it. what she does well is that really quickly – she establishes as, as like a modern thing. And so like you're able to just like as a as a person alive in the late 2010s, early 2020s, you're like, these are the things that like, I know that are probably going to come into play. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. But it's the specifics that I guess, yes, re- would reward mm-hmm. rereading. When Ronnie stops paying attention, he shoots, he shoots the kitchen. He's reloading. Yeah. Shoots the kitchen timer and he's reloading and Stacy attacks him, hits him with the lamp, knocks him to the ground. And then the whole family attacks him. Yep. They, they start hitting him and kicking him and, and throwing apples at him. And the son kicks the gun underneath the couch. Tie him up with the husband's clothes. Yeah. And it becomes this this uh, climax in which this thing that she's been ruminating over and over again, which is the presence of right to carry men, uh, the ubiquity of shootings, mass shootings, her children being in danger because of people with guns worrying about all of these things over and over again comes to a righteous conclusion in which she has to then confront this thing happening in her house. Yeah. All the while, while we're reading this, there's also the story of this cougar with her two cubs, which is running parallel, simultaneous, whatever. There's like basically 50 pages of like her thinking and maybe like five pages of the cougar or whatever. And as that story progresses, it becomes clear that like, oh, this is basically in our narrator's backyard. Like this is like not only in America, not only in Ohio, but like around her house. Mm -hmm. And eventually they adopt the dog and the dog like goes and pals around with the cougar. And it's just like, oh, so now I know why. Because I think the I think the metaphor and the comparison would still be effective, even if they never crossed over, because it's like the same kind of motherly instinct, but sort of one in not passivity, but just inaction, kind of, like the mundanity, and then, like, literally life or death every single day because we don't have the, you know, benefits of society around us or whatever, right? 
Yeah, I think also it doubles as, uh, you know, the animal, which is all instinct and all and all movement and mm-hmm. action versus uh, the human who is all like neuroses. Right. It's, it's like yeah. the, the, the differences between action and, and thinking. And so when that crosses over, I was like, oh, it may maybe it was just a lucky guess, but I was like, oh, there's probably going to be like a shooter at some point. Oh, OK. That, that... In her life, mm-hmm. because like I think the the big theme if there had to be one theme it's gun violence i think is the thing yeah also uh i don't yeah cancer too i mean this that's something that we haven't talked about all that much except right. for the stuff with the you know when we were when i was criticizing her for using the word mommy instead of like mom or m- mother or something that that is a big thing but it's also something that's already happened to her and i feel like it's less dramatically intense and i don't know if that's the right phrase or not but like if she goes to the doctor in these thoughts and it's like your cancer is returned then it just becomes like this kind of slow burn well okay so so this is actually my my major problem with the ending of the book the ronnie um, the ronnie stuff yeah because the the ronnie stuff uh functions very much in the way that we like a traditional narrative functions like she's setting up all of these things so that it'll pay off but the realism of the thought process that we go from the beginning of the book until the end of the book, where it's just like mundanity juxtaposed with this this horror, but the horror exists at a distance, right? Um, the reality is that most for most of us, that horror always exists at a distance. Right. And so the tension is never released. Right. The book it releases that tension for us. Yeah. Like, we... we Realistic or not, we assume that she's not going to eventually then die in gun violence. Gun violence. Right. We assume that her kids are going to be okay because they get through this circumstance. I don't want that. I, I I don't I like I don't think that we need to end on this note that also ties it up and 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 sort of in a way repairs her relationship with Stacy. Hundred um, percent. I think I think that feels superficial to me in a book that otherwise feels so realistic. Um, we we then move into this realm of like. It feels like, okay, now we have to tie everything up in the third act and connect the themes in a way that makes sense sure. for a book and not in a way that makes sense for reality. Because like like I said, most of us deal with this mundanity, but we don't get the catharsis of catharsis and trauma of survival. Right. Right. We just have we just have the trauma of looking at it from afar. Well, I think there's two ways that I will devil's advocate that. Number one, why not her? Like why not you were me, right? Like, why isn't somebody that I pissed off at some point, you knock on my door right now? Yeah. Like, because I think it proves a point that it could happen to anybody. That in her head, like, maybe she's never thinking this could happen to her because, like, when she hears of her friend who had a friend who got shot or whatever, she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened to somebody I know because it's just surrounding her. And so, like, why not her, right? Like, I think there's that element of it that just, not that people are feeling complacent or whatever, but just there's the very real threat that, like, at any point in your life, someone that you are casually related to or you don't know at all could end your life because they're having a bad day or something, right? Yeah. Well, my answer to why not is because it ties the story up too neatly. Sure. The other thing, and this, again, isn't going to necessarily counter that point, but sometimes when watching TV shows, it's like, why is everything happening to these six characters or whatever? It's like, well, because that's happened to somebody. And like, just why not them? You know what I mean? So like, uh, well, it's, it's, it, I think like that's asking the wrong question. The actual question oh, probably. is probably. Like, the reason we're watching these characters is because yes. these things are happening yeah. to them. It's not like it's not like the camera just like 
absentmindedly went to these four people and then was like, let's see what happens. It's like, we've decided that these things are going to happen. And then that's why we were telling this story yeah. because these are the things that are happening. Well, cause it's, it's kind of like, it's specifically like with lost, right? Like there's like 40 survivors of the plane crash or yeah. whatever. And like, and they even like kind of make jokes about this. that like, all the crazy shit happens to like half of them and the other half like we just never meet and it's like wait is nothing happening to those people or like we just or or are is equally crazy shit happening to them they're just not the people we're following and we don't, we don't know you know what i mean so yeah it's like how in the oc <laughs> like ryan is always getting into fist fights and it's just like dude you can just not punch people and stop lying it's so easy not to punch fine. people yeah it's easier to not punch somebody than mm-hmm. to punch somebody so the cougar and anything more to say about the cougar i think there was a moment when the cougar's cubs get whisked away or like rescued mm-hmm. by the do-gooders who like find them because like the mom goes away to get food. Yeah. And there's like a storm and like the cougars get like washed, like the cubs get like washed away or like they're like in a weird kind of spot or whatever. And she comes back and they're not there. That was like maybe the saddest I felt all book. I'm just like, oh no. Because like she's just being a good mom. Like she's providing and then just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a bummer. It's just this idea that like you can be doing the best and it's just. You know, things conspire to, to fuck you over. There is also some, like, crazy shit that the cougar encounters. Like, the cougar sees a man kill himself. Mm-hmm. The cougar also oversees a man with, like, a, a, a zoo of, like, 50 endangered wild exotic animals. Like, I don't know if I, like, zoned out for a second <laughs> or it just, like, was meant to be kind of surprising. Well, but there's there's a scene where it's basically describing like it's just chaos and dudes are shooting exotic animals. I'm like, where are we? And we don't know for like maybe like a hundred pages and like a couple like you know. Then the narrator is recounting like, oh, she read this story about this guy who like went crazy, but he owned the zoo of all these exotic animals, and the cops were like, we have to shoot all the animals or whatever. But we see it firsthand from the cougar first. Yeah. And also like another thing that kind of bothered me about this is like the cougar both knows everything about humanity and like human words, and it just like. You know, trains like those big metal snakes. I'm like, you you cannot call them big metal snakes when like you know the word for like everything else. Yeah, that's weird. But like the cougar sees this like absolute chaos, like like what looks like Vietnam. And I'm like, what happened? And we eventually find out. But I'm like, where? What is this? Yeah, I love stuff like that. That's cool. I love being, yeah being jarred out of something and then learning later i will say uh, like you, you you said that you may have zoned out for a little bit um i think this is a book that you zone out to yeah i, I think that if you if you read this book for 1100 pages i think there are going to be large chunks of it that you just like move through via osmosis there's going to be large chunks that you don't remember at all and when things happen probably vital things that are vital to the plot vital to because of the way that it's the way that it's written is meant to like lull you into not realizing what's important to the plot. Right. Um, so like, I think that, that the length of this book and the repetitious hypnotic way that it's written, you're meant to sort of just like, you know, fade out on. I read like the first 600, like actually read. And then I listened to the last like 400 or whatever in the audiobook. And this audiobook, we, you know, for as much as I kind of trashed the Owen Meany reader for his like weird Owen voice, like this woman, this was, like, I think she did a great, I think she was a great, Mm-hmm. ebook reader audiobook reader right phrase but i was like you know like 150 pages left in the book and i was listening and like i fell asleep and like i woke up in a panic i'm like i don't know how long i've been asleep yeah yeah that's or how to find where i was uh-huh. and it was less than a page like it was just like oh i just like i think i like like i nodded off and like woke up like in a panic 
it you know at one point you're like where are you in the book and i'm like oh you know she's talking about motherhood motherhood and baking pies because <laughs> like there's no way to find yeah anything. oh oh the 9-11 joke she does is really good too about like making a 9-11 cake and then she's like but why would anybody want a 9-11 cake because she, she's a, she's a pants and nine or something right yeah, yeah, yeah she's like yeah if i get like a one they can do like a 19 or a 91 or 9-11 but like <laughs> Also, like, so there are there are a few things that I think you don't necessarily pick up on if you're just listening. But like, as you read it the first time, like, there's like the 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 the, the number pans are like huge block letters, like huge uh-huh. block number, not letters, numbers. They're numbers. They're not letters. They're numbers. Um, a number is a kind of letter, is it? <laughs> they're maths numbers, maths letters. Yeah, but then there's also there's a part where it's like the certainties of life. Because I think this is after the apocalypse and like the the whole like we could die at any moment. Like, oh, and I think it moves she's into realizing like a poetry this. thing. Yes, and you've got like forty pages or something that's yeah. like and like her certainties of life are all things that like very not certain. Yeah. Well, like the same way that like after she says the fact that a lot of things are not remotely facts. Yeah. Anything else about the book? Uh, I think I'm good. What do you want to? Um, are we going to call Matt? We are going to call Matt. I'm just seeing if there's anything else. Cherokee Tracker, Harrison Ford movies. Saved by Jesus. Oh, one thing she does a lot, which I think, which I really, really like, because I think I do it too, not as often as she does, but she'll be like, I don't know if I'm going to have an example of it, but it'll be Even like. the grammatical thing? Yes. She, where yeah. she's like, where she's like, Bob does this thing, and then my dad, and he's sick. No, not my dad, Bob, but also my dad too, maybe. But why is she, that, that's another thing that feels superficial for a book, because like you would never do that correction in your brain. Well, that's another thing. That in one of the New Yorker pieces about this, it's like that, I don't know if it was meant as a criticism or just like a, like, why is she correcting herself? Yeah, it's a recognition of audience. It's, right. it's, it's like the postmodern idea that, like, you're presenting artifice in order to remind people that they're reading a book. How does this compare, a book I have not read, but you sort of vaguely told me about that I think we'll probably read on this podcast at some point, but Megan Boyle's live blog. Is this like that at all? No. Is it similarly stream of consciousness or it's just, it's totally different? Totally different. Okay totally different all right let me call matt is this bedtime or do you think this is after bedtime no this is it should be after bedtime i don't know hello you are on the air with how to win the lottery hey guys what's going on hey man have you gotten over the fact that you accidentally benched colton long or you benched you benched fan mail fan mail for colton long yeah, it's all good. I'm in a holding pattern for the next uh, 36 hours, so I lock up this first round by. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. You're in a, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a wonderful position to be. As unlike me and Bob, who got knocked out of our contention a long time ago in fantasy baseball. So is, is the league bleeding into this podcast as well? No, not really. I, I still think my favorite, <laughs> my favorite moments of Tub Talk were you giving NLCS recaps <laughs> four months before the episodes aired. <laughs> yeah oh the brewers archival. just tied it up <laughs> archival content so matt we're talking where, about it where you win moments matt we're talking about a book called ducks newberry port i just texted you the art the cover art this is of course the segment judge a book by its cover by the honorable judge matt Erdely. Court is now in session. 
So this is at, this is after bed this is after bedtime. We're, we're we're imagining, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. My uh, parenting duties are done for the night. So now you're just basement cleaning time. Yeah. I like this cover a lot. Oh, we didn't even talk about the title. We'll talk about the title after we're done with Matt, or maybe on the phone with Matt. I like this cover a lot. I don't think this at all really hints at what this book is. Yeah. Yeah, this almost is a design that looks like it would it would be like a. You know when they do like um, series of books, and then there's like a kind of a templated look. Yeah. I know it almost looks like that. Like two colors very, with an object in the middle, or something. Yeah, a lot of flat color. Something that looks like a variation of Futura. You know, kind of that um, Wes Anderson aesthetic going it on. It does, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is the illustration because I can't exactly tell what that is. It almost looks like one of those. Um, you know, uh, eye puzzles where it's like it could be two things because it's obviously a duck, but I don't know. It kind of looks like maybe a, a whale cresting too, or a iceberg of some. Actually, the dot I zoom in on it's pretty much just a duck. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm holding the phone so that Bob can see the picture, and I was like, oh my god, this is something I never even. And then like, as soon as I turn around to look at it, you're like, oh no, never mind. It's just it's just the one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, real, real, uh, pretty, um, I don't know, you know, again, Wes kind of, like, established what this feels like by doing something so, um, straight ahead, center justified, solid color, sans serif font, like, you know, it's interesting in, in what it is associated with by proxy, I guess. But, you know, like reading this quote, unstoppable, like nothing you've ever read before. It's like, all right, I wouldn't assume that. Cover here, but like, <laughs> well, would you assume that if we told you that the, the book is a thousand pages long? Yeah. And I mean, think about that. Like if you're if you're in a bookstore, like that tells you a lot about it, you know, just as much as a cover would. Like, you know, you think about these are products on a shelf, essentially, and like everything that goes into it tells the story of it's all technically part of the design like you you know you're designing a book that is a thousand pages so it's going to look like a brick in in hardcover or softcover so you have a big fat spine you know and you can be i guess bold like this because it's just like a big thick thing i think it has a uh, like super classic look to it like it's it's a book whose cover like looks like it's already a classic a book that's been around for 50 years and this only came out a year what two years ago yeah yeah the word i was gonna say if i didn't say it already was it's very confident like it's just it's it's very what say it again it's confident oh yeah yeah it's a confident design to be this simple you know and it's like you look at you look below the water and you see that pretty like bold quote like nothing you've ever read before Booker Prize and they have the little emblem in the upper right hand corner whatever the I guess Cory Booker gives that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's for vegans from New Jersey (laughs) yeah it's it is what it is it just stands for itself I guess and you know this is this is uh, like I've seen a lot of book covers that look just like this style wise like it's it's very much it very much says book cover. Like maybe this could be like a poster for a, uh, I don't know, a play too or something. Mm-hmm. But it it, it, con- it it connotes like a 
high class experience you're about to get involved with. And you know, by 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 that same token, you see a lot of dog shit stuff that looks like this too, because for that exact reason. Yeah, it's trying to like imitate important art. Matt, I will tell you that this book is unlike anything I've ever read before. It is unstoppable. I would not say unstoppable. Well, no, it's actually very stoppable. It's very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the best book you guys have read so far? No. No, it's Owen Meany still. I always assumed when I heard you guys mention the, the name of this book that that's a place. So is it a place? So Newburyport, so I think, and this is, it's it's not, it's never explicitly described but I think so. Newburyport is where her mother is from. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mother talk in this book. And at one point, when her mother was like a toddler, she like ran into a lake that she has chased after ducks and almost died. And I think the idea is like a place and the thing that like it just could be like, you know, gun comma newcomer. Yeah, it's or the, the comma separating two separate clauses, but it's like mimicking a, a place by the just where it's chosen to you know bracket sentences and a lot of the book is essentially like things that could almost be horrifically life-changing traumatic events that turn out to be nothing and the fact that her mom almost drowned running after a duck and then didn't is just like one of those like kind of like the it's like the first thing in her mother's life or something yeah pretty evocative title like it's been in the back of my mind ever since i've heard you guys mention it just like randomly oh nice good going yeah. lucy elman two words down a thousand pages to go. <laughs> Well, she she says it like three or four times, so like you're really like six or eight words down, so yeah. you're, you're much closer to the end. <laughs> uh, we got one more thing that's really important, which is you're going to uh, choose the, the Harrison Ford movie. Oh, right, yeah. So as a quick – so for our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash lotterypod, in the off weeks when there's a movie that like ties in, like if there's a movie adaptation, but this week there, she references three different Harrison Ford movies so much, and I'm like, I need to watch – all these movies soon because like I've seen one of them like forever ago and I've never seen the other two. So Air Force One, The Fugitive and Witness. Matt, I know that you voted for the candidate of your choice, but please, it was a tie on Twitter. Which of these movies should Bob and I watch tonight and then record a bonus episode for the Patreon? I, I am a I am a devout fan and I would say that this movie is up there in maybe top I might say top 10 action movies of all time wow Harrison Ford Dr. Richard Kimball The Fugitive deserves as much attention and podcast hours as you guys are willing to give it cool alright you got it and I'm a, I, I would have advocated for Air Force One too recently but I, I watched that last summer and like you know it's alright it holds up but it's, it's kind of dumb Wow, that was last summer. I remember talking about that, like as a uh, like in in a in a Zoom. Uh, I know, unbelievable I know. that that was over a year ago. I know this is the second instance of something like that that happened to me in two days, and I think last year was about forty five seconds long. Yeah, in total, and also forty five years long. Yeah, what a weird thing. So yeah, fugitives, enjoy, guys. Cool. All right, that's My the fam- one. I, 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 similar to. to to the title of this book getting stuck in my head one of the one of my favorite lines in the movie is when he goes and he, he rents that basement apartment from the, the old polish i'm talking to joey and bob hi hey he's re- he's running the basement apartment from the old polish guy or the old polish lady and then and then her son is talking to the cops and he's like are you mean to tell me that that dr richard kimball is running this this basement apartment from your mother and Means back is all scumbaggy looking like Polish immigrant guy. And he just goes, 
That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like my favorite line from the whole movie. So, so, so you, when, you, that, when that when that comes across in like two and a half hours, think <laughs> you think you think instead of it being called the fugitive, it should have been called "That's What I'm Telling You." <laughs> yeah, and you can put that guy on the poster. <laughs> the other funny thing about the fugitive is like. Like Harrison Ford has this giant beard in the beginning of it, and it's just a hundred percent so that he can shave it off and like change <laughs> later in the movie. Like it's so stupid. Well, I, I just watched uh, the the final Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, Die Another Day, and like he spends fifteen months in a yeah, a, right. a North Korean yeah, yeah. prison, like a prison, and like he's just got like you know the beautiful Pierce Brosnan like shoulder length hair and like this like gorgeous beard or whatever. Also that he goes back to a hotel after he's like escapes and they just like cut to him like finishing up the shave and he looks like Pierce Brosnan again. It's just like, yeah, of course we knew that. It wasn't, he wasn't gonna be like a raggedy Bond for the entire movie, even though that would have been better. <laughs> yeah, that movie yeah I saw the opening sequence to that, that uh, Bond. It's the only part of it that I saw. Really, it's very racist. Oh yeah, like, it's not great. Uh, also, I, I will tell you... Against, uh, using North Korea as like a movie bad guys thing, but like it, it did seem pretty... Pretty bad. The the kind of the emotional through line for that is that one of the North Korean generals' sons does like a body swap, mind swap into this into the body of a white man, and like he's just like that's part of the story, and like it's just father, don't you recognize me? He's like I don't know who you are. <laughs> oh, Pierce. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. Right. I appreciate yeah. appreciate it. We got two more this season, so we're gonna give you a call at some point soon. But this is another smash rousing success success story of. Uh, Judge a book by its cover with the Honorable Matt Erdley. Wait, so is it guilty or not guilty? What's the oh, yeah. verdict? Oh, well, I'm glad you, you came up with something because I, I had listened to one of your episodes recently, and, and I guess there was a promise that I'd come up with a rating scale, and I never actually did do it. <laughs> well, feel free. I don't like guilty or not guilty. But you, um, but you, you okay, so you're either, either guilty or not guilty, but of anything that you want it to be. So, like, at the end of every episode, Bob says, like, you know, today's crime is whatever. You can just pick whatever. It's guilty of something or not guilty of something. Well, you know, given my, like, the, the, the template idea of the beginning that I said, um, I, I think that this book is uh, mistrial on technicality. Wow. Okay. So, the first yeah. time we have a rating, it's a mistrial. All right. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, it didn't even, like, we're talking, like, two days in, some, like, uh you know, uh, inappropriately filed paperwork or something just rendered the whole thing tossed. Someone didn't read some of the Miranda rights. Yeah. Lazy, lazy, uh, lazy law enforcing. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. I don't know what you heard exactly, but you heard it here first. It's a mistrial. <laughs> here, I got a gavel type situation going. You read? Perfect. Yeah. All, All right, right guys. Have a good night, Matt. Have a good night, Violet, if you're still there. She's not. All right, enjoy the future. <laughs> All right, bye. All right, is it email time? It's email time. Email crime. Or do we want to talk about fantasy casting? I think it's just like, I kind of thought of my mom and then no one. I don't think, I, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, first of all, it would have to be a first person perspective, uh, a movie in order to mimic the, the, um, 
the style of it, and it would have to be perpetual voiceover for the entire thing. And then, uh, uh, I don't know, let's say Laura Dern. Sure. Or you could also do Katie Mixon, who is the girlfriend, Kenny Powers' girlfriend in Eastbound and Down, because she's also in that show, American Housewife. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You need to know the face that Bob made. Like, (laughs) audio-wise, you could tell that he was upset, but, like, the face was just like, I can't believe I'm even justifying this with words. Also, the narrator never mentioned, like, never named, right? I don't believe so. At one point, she says the word Tuesday, and I'm like, oh, we're going to have, like, demarcations for time, and then never says anything like that again. (laughs) Yeah. We have an email address, lottery at cageclub.me or lotterypod at cageclub.me if you want to write in. Even if, you, even if you're listening now and you're like, oh, I really want to write in about Owen Meany or whatever, uh, we'll read on the next episode. People have not done that yet, but, you know, you still can. Yeah, we'll find, you know, when people find this in 2024. When we're on season 37, they're going to get real short. They're going to get really yeah, short. Okay. This season is about Ducks Newburyport. This is from Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez, Ducks Newburyport. Want to guess how she starts the email? Uh, no. The fact that. Okay, sure. If this phrase was taken from the book, would be about 145 pages. The fact that listening to this book read by Alexa was pretty hilarious. The fact that my brain could not have handled reading this more than 50 plus pages that I managed. The fact that I really enjoyed the section with the lioness. The fact that I related very hard to this character, her anxiety, and her stream of consciousness. The non-annoying, oh, and she says the non-annoying bulleted version of the above. So she just actually rewrites. Well, it she out there. she actually is doing a thing that's like a classic, uh, something that book reviewers do, which is like they review the book in the style in which the book is written. But now she's going to translate that for us. So yeah, she said uh, if we remove the phrase "the fact that" from this book, it probably would have been about 145 pages. I mean, probably not that short, but like it probably would have saved 50 pages. Maybe there's probably 50 yeah, pages more than of that. the I think fact probably, that probably more than 100. Having Alexa read this book at 2x speed with no punctuation was hilarious, and I thought she may explode. What I did like about the audiobook reader, and not Alexa, but the woman who read it for Audible, especially after the Stacy thing runs away, like, she gets emotional. She starts speaking more quickly. And, like, it's, she is great. It's really good. Yeah. My brain hurt the 50-plus pages I actually read of this, so an award to the rest of you that actually physically read this. Uh, just you. Oh, and, and, and Meg. Yeah, I, and I only read—I mean, I would have kept reading, but I was just like, I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to listen to some ducks or whatever. But, yeah, I actually—I think there's— I think there's rewarding elements to both. I think that there's... For sure. I really enjoyed the section splitting with the lioness. Yep. As someone with pretty severe anxiety, I really related really hard to this character's stream of consciousness, her anxieties, the things she worries about, her thoughts, all of it, except for the part about feeling sorry for her husband when he doesn't pack a suitcase till the morning of a trip. My husband does this, and I have zero feelings of sadness or empathy toward him. <laughs> Thanks for the recommendation, guys. I'm looking forward to following along more religiously in the future. Glad to speak to you all a few weeks ago, too. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We had a Summit. very yeah. exclusive summit with some of our, basically the people who have written to the show. And we decided the next season's theme, which we are not announcing yet. Yeah. We will in a few episodes. But Montes was there. There was some discussion about the next season's theme just being horniness. horniness. No, not horniness. Just horny. Horny books. Yeah. Books that are horny. Yeah. Uh, that's not it. We decided against that. Yeah, because you said it's either all empowering from women or just all icky stuff from dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I'd have a hard time podcasting with an erection. Here for all the book discussions whenever you need a fellow bibliophile to join in. Much love from Virginia Montez. Thank you, Montez. Oh, she's in Virginia? Yeah. It is for lovers. Or is that West Virginia? I think it's West Virginia. You fool. And then we got Egg's reaction to Duck's Newberryport. 
sent in five hours ago, really cutting it under the wire. I she I think like two days ago she was like I have five hundred pages left, and she just like buckled down and read. Well, that was like why you're like oh you're making really good time with the book or whatever. I'm like if I don't I'm not gonna finish this book. Yeah. Or we're gonna record this podcast like I'm gonna have to you know it's gonna be like bang 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 at the end or whatever. But also like what what I liked about the structure is like I would literally set like I'm gonna read ten pages and I'm gonna come back later and read ten more pages and like no matter when it stops I'm just like I can stop. Yeah. Like sometimes you're in the middle of a thing, but it's also like doesn't really matter. Right. Egg says I re- I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to finish the book in time, but I'm so glad I did. I was still planning on writing in and using my email mostly to complain about how Bobby forced me to read this dumb book. <laughs> that being said, I feel like this book was worth it for the last fifty or so pages when Ronnie came in with the gun. So this is direct opposition to you. Yeah, that's true. I audibly gasped. And was shaking during the time that the story was being told. It felt like Owen Meany in the way that she literally spent the entire novel setting up, but I still didn't see it coming. I really love it when books make me involuntary, involuntarily react like that. However, I also feel like the, the parts immediately after Ronnie coming inside the house didn't happen. This narrator has spent a thousand pages talking about her shitty memory, and then this really traumatic event occurs, and she's able to think about so clearly in a more or less narrative fashion two weeks after the fact. The very end part felt like a novel was finishing up in a way that no other part of the book felt, quote, like a novel. Yeah, see, we agree. That's the, the, the uh, so, yeah, that's the, that's my point exactly. Like, it felt like the narrator was then aware of the audience, and so she wanted to tell a good story to finish out the book, which I definitely appreciated, but I didn't really believe. I also do not believe the, quote, unquote, rescue by Stacy and the way they tied him up with clothes. It was too perfect. I liked it. But again, I don't think it really ended like that. In conclusion, thanks, guys, for making me read this book. Without this podcast, I never would have made it more than 30 pages in. Nice. So I think a couple ways to sort of, again, devil's advocate. I don't think we need to defend it. But, like, just because you remember a thing happening doesn't mean that it actually happened that way. That's true. Like, he might have been, like, flailing or whatever. Like, it seems like they're, like, they kind of conquer him perfectly, right? Like, the very end of Death Proof, where, like, they all the three women yeah, just yeah. all beat the shit out of Kurt Russell. Like, that feels like an idyllic, like, that's not, maybe not how it happened, but, like, it's how they remember, how they choose to portray it or whatever, right? Like, in what Meg's saying, like, I think it does do that postmodern thing of, like, it feel, it's it's artifice, right? So it's, like, reminding us that it's a book. In wrapping it up and tying it all up together, it's like, well, it did happen that way. It happened that way because that's the way that it's written, because this is not a real thing that happened. And it's so like tying it up like that is saying like reliable narrator or not, this is what happened because you're reading a book. I think there's enough stuff that is of a similar ilk to that that we talked about, like her correcting herself Mm -hmm, or her doing like cutesy sort of parallel structure, stylistic things that make it all sort of feel novel-ish in a way that, like, the ending doesn't feel wildly out of place. Like, I think that there's definitely merit and it's valid what you guys are saying, and I don't disagree, but I think that there's enough stuff earlier that it's not like this is the only time it felt like a novel or that she was telling this to someone. Right. Fair enough. I'll take it. If you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me, we're also at LotteryPod on Twitter and on Patreon. we got the Audible thing. I I would say... Just bang for your buck, and also just in terms of the quality, get this as an audiobook. Like, don't get one that's going to take, like, six hours to read. Where's yeah. The, where's the value Exactly, there? yeah. Take, get, like, one that's 45 hours and then listen to it on your commute every day. Yeah. Because you do get, like, lost into this world, which is also just our world, which also maybe you don't want to get lost into because it's very depressing and bleak. But also, you know, I think it's it's worth it. Instead of saying keep reading in no, that don't do in, it. Don't in do that it. Bond, You're going to use a misogynist slur. But it's said by a woman. Yeah, but you're not a woman. Go ahead. 
Say it. Can't. Say it. Say it and be the villain. At the end. <laughs> at the end of um, at the end of James Bond's Die Another Day. Uh, today's crime is um, lying to a police officer. Thank you and goodbye.